This is Philippians 4, 14 through 23. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my, in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no other church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you've sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. <laughs> what a great reading, Carol. <laughs> let's, let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word now, I do pray that you would give us hearts that are longing to hear you speak through your word and longing to be changed to be reshaped by your character that we see revealed in Scripture. Would I pray that you would do this for your glory. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Amen. Well, since it is Beautiful Chaos Sunday and our younger kids are with us, I want to begin with a story about a little boy. A story about a little boy. This, this boy, I don't know how young he was, but he was a boy that was caught up in a crowd of people. Yeah, kids, kids that are here, kids, have you ever been in a really big crowd? Uh, your parents tell you, hold on to my hand, <laughs> don't let go, don't wander off. And they do that for good reason. One of my earliest childhood memories is being with my parents at a youth camp and getting lost in a crowd. And I probably wasn't separated from them for that very long, but it was long enough for that scene to be imprinted upon my memory of them finding me after, after being lost for a little while. Now, I don't know if this young boy was separated from his parents in this crowd, but I do know that he was about to experience something that he would never forget. Because, you see, this crowd was searching the countryside for Jesus. They heard about the miracles he was doing, turning water into wine, healing the sick, making the lame walk, giving sight to the blind. And this boy joined in that crowd looking for this one who was mending back together all the broken bits of the world. He went looking for Jesus. But what makes this story really amazing, kids, what makes the story really amazing is that Jesus was expecting him. Jesus was the one looking for him. Because unlike 
his disciples, unlike the rest of the crowd, this young boy brought with him a packed lunch. You know what story it is now. A packed lunch. Two fish and five small loaves of bread. He went out into the wilderness prepared. If you want to imagine the scene with me, I like to picture Russell from the movie Up. Okay, kids, how many of you kids have seen Up? Your kids, yes. Okay, adults, adults as well. Yeah, some adults are raising their hand. Okay, most everyone has seen, has seen the film Up. Uh, you can picture Russell, can't you? Uh, he's the kid with all the merit badges. Uh, he's he's looked like he has plans ahead. He has planned ahead and he has brought a snack with him out into the wilderness. Little Russell finds Jesus and his disciples at precisely the moment Jesus intended. The moment when Jesus announces his intention of feeding 5,000 plus people who have gathered to hear him teach. Remember Andrew? Andrew is Peter's brother. He's one of the disciples of Jesus. Andrew notices this boy. Uh, I, I don't know if he noticed all the merit badges, <laughs> but he definitely noticed the packed lunch this kid had. And I, I'm going to go ahead and just call him Russell throughout the rest of this message. He, he noticed Russell there with his packed lunch. Andrew sees Russell and thinks, this kid hasn't missed many meals. He came prepared. Russell begins to take out his carefully packed lunch, and Andrew comments to Jesus, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. He looks a little bit like a wilderness explorer. But what are these among so many people? What are these among so many? And Jesus, you know his response. He says, have the people sit down. And he beckons little Russell over. Come to me. Now, now, kids, in that moment, Russell had a choice to make, didn't he? He has a choice to make. Does he hand over his carefully prepared lunch to Jesus, not knowing what will come of it? Or does he say, no, I'm sorry. If I had more, maybe, but this is all I have. And I've been looking forward to this snack, to taking a break and eating this lunch for quite some time now. So I hope you can understand, Jesus. I'm just going to keep it to myself. We'd understand that way of thinking, wouldn't we? Parents, you would understand that way of thinking, wouldn't you? Uh, We understand that way of thinking because that's the way most grown-ups would think. I've prepared for this situation. I packed the lunch. I'm going to enjoy it. Sorry, I You didn't plan ahead. Maybe this will teach you a lesson. Don't come out into the wilderness without packing your own lunch. Little Russell could have reasoned like an adult, but instead he trusted like a child. He gave over his five loaves, his two fish to Jesus, and witnessed the most amazing sight of his life. The little that he gave in the hands of Jesus, fed a crowd of over 5,000 people. And afterwards, guess what? There was more left over than when Jesus began. Twelve baskets full. The very little that Russell gave, that we give, 
Jesus has the power in himself to multiply it and create more. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> the very little we give, Jesus has the power to multiply. I'm not used to applause, by the way. Uh, just, just imagine the boy's face. Imagine little Russell's fat face. Uh, amazed. Amazed by what Jesus has just done. Imagine how glad Russell was that he gave. Imagine how grateful he is that he didn't hold back his loaves and his fish for himself. Because, you know, Russell got a lot more than his five loaves worth out of that meal, didn't he? There's 12 baskets left over. Everyone ate until they were satisfied. He ate like everyone else around Jesus to his heart's content. Now, I've had a few people ask me, Pastor, you've been here for two months. When are you going to preach a sermon on giving? When are you going to preach a sermon on giving? And I tell them, as soon as we have a sermon passage that comes up on giving, that's when I'm going to preach it. As soon as it appears in God's word, that's, that's when you'll hear a sermon on it. Uh, and really, that's a lovely thing about preaching through books of the Bible. God has already determined the subject matter. Not me. God's determined it. Not me. I don't get to choose which topics we tackle. God has chosen that for me in how he has laid out the Bible itself. Uh, so, this is a great thing. We talk a lot about Jesus here. We talk a lot about Jesus. Why? Because the Bible talks a lot about Jesus. As we preach through the Bible, we talk about things as much as the Bible itself talks about things. So, we talk about joy a lot because the Bible talks about joy a lot. We're going through the book of Philippians. Every single sermon has had the word joy in, its, in the passage itself, joy or rejoice. We talk about heaven as much as the Bible talks about heaven, but also we talk about hell as much as the Bible warns us about hell. We talk about sin as much as the Bible talks about sin, which is a lot as well. I don't get to skip over things Whatever's there in the text, that's what I have to teach. Now, I do think there is a place for topical preaching where the, the preacher picks the topic, uh, but that should be the rare thing, I think, because otherwise you're just getting me cherry-picking for you the things I want you to hear, the, the things I want to preach about. And that wouldn't be good for you, and it wouldn't be good for me. So, I'm preaching a message on giving today. Why? Because I don't have another choice. <laughs> That's what the text is. Like Russell in the movie Up, I was on the front porch <laughs> as the balloons came out and the house took off, and now I've got no choice but to see this thing through to the end, wherever the adventure takes us. But fortunately, I did study this week. I have looked ahead. I know where we're going <laughs> in this text. So I want to give you this morning Four reasons why we should give. Four reasons why we should give from Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 23. Four reasons why we should give. The Apostle Paul gives us four reasons why we should give, and I'm going to try to keep, keep them short and sweet for the sake of the kids with us and illustrate each point with Russell. 
Again, for the sake of the kids with us, especially the big kids among us. Okay, we, we see the first reason for giving in verses 14 through 16. Let me read that again for us. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourself know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Reason number one for why you should give. Giving is a primary way that we share in the afflictions of others. Giving is a primary way that we share in the afflictions of others. It's one of the, one of the main ways that we help bear the needs of others. You see that here with Paul and the Philippians. The gift that the Philippians sent to Paul was a sharing with him in his afflictions. Verse 14, that's what Paul says. Paul was afflicted, and the Philippians shared in that affliction by voluntarily taking, taking on some of that affliction on themselves. They shared in Paul's afflictions by sacrificially giving so that Paul, in his affliction, might have less. His affliction might be lessened. In other words, when Paul was lacking something, when he, when he was lacking over there in Thessalonica, the Philippians voluntarily went without some things so that those resources might go to supporting Paul on his mission. You see how this works. We share in the afflictions and needs of others when we voluntarily make ourselves more needy so that others might become less needy. Ultimately, where do we see that? We see it somewhere. Ultimately, where do we see this in its fullness? Where do we find the perfect example of this principle? What's the Sunday school answer? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, he who was rich, the scripture said, did what? He became poor. So that we, you, through his poverty, might become rich. Real, spiritual, eternal riches. Jesus is the ultimate example of sharing in afflictions through self-giving. And he's the ultimate motivation. He's the ultimate motivating power for us to do the same. Why would we, why would we give of ourselves? Why would we give of our resources, our time, our money? Why would we do that? It's because Christ has so lavishly given himself for us. We look at him, we see he, he who was rich became poor for us, and that motivates us. It drives our hearts to give like he has given for us. If you want to follow after Jesus, here is what the Bible says you should do. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. How do we bear one another's burdens? How do we do that? A primary way is giving. 
A primary way is by giving. Giving of ourselves, giving of our resources. We help bear one another's burdens. I'd encourage you when you're here, if you're here, hopefully you're here, next Sunday is our homecoming Sunday. Uh, As you're here, find the ministry boards that Jennifer has put together for us. They should be out here somewhere. Jennifer's nodding yes. They should be out here somewhere. Have a good look at them. Read what they say. Because you may not realize this, but as you give to Alberta Baptist Church, you are joining in the affliction of churches who are doing orphan care in Haiti. As you give, you're doing that. You are joining in the hard work of pastors planting new churches in Cuba. We support 10 pastors in Cuba. You are feeding some of the most needy kids in the world through Compassion International. You're coming alongside expectant mothers in crisis through Save a Life here locally. You are sharing in the affliction and lessening the affliction and trauma of orphans by providing them a safe place to be through the Alabama Baptist Children's Home. You're entering into the afflictions of people right here in Alberta City as you give funds to our Helping Hands ministry that serves and helps others in need in our community. You are joining in the global effort of advancing the gospel through the Southern Baptist Cooperative Program. Uh, 10% of everything we give goes to that and helps fund our missionaries overseas. Through your giving, you've already helped plant churches in rural England and urban France, people and places that I, I know. I know the names. I know the faces of the people you have impacted through your giving. So, why should you give? Because giving is one of the primary and simplest ways we share in the afflictions and needs of others. Think about Russell for a minute. Not in the film up, but where we left him in the crowd with, around Jesus and his disciples. Little Russell, he's there armed with his five loaves of bread, two fish, and he had a decision to make. Would he enter into the suffering of others by giving away his packed lunch? I mean, if he did, he had no way of knowing what Jesus was going to do with that gift, did he? He had no way of knowing. He didn't know that he would end up getting more than if he kept it all for himself. He had no way of knowing that. But what did Russell do? Not knowing about the abundance that would come, little Russell chose to share in the afflictions and needs of the people around him. He gave. He gave his fish. He gave his loaves. He could have said, no, thank you. Y'all should be like me and come prepared next time. See this merit badge? I came prepared. You should learn a lesson and come prepared yourself. What were you thinking coming out of the wilderness without a snack? You deserve to go without lunch, and it would teach you a great lesson. Russell could have reasoned that way and kept back his lunch for himself, but he chose instead to give. Because in giving, he could enter into the affliction and needs of others. That's the first reason. Here's a second reason why you should give. Look at verse 17. 
Verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Here's reason number two for why you should give. Giving has eternal profit. There's eternal profit to it. Giving has an everlasting significance. Remember what Jesus told us. Do not store up your treasure where? Here, on earth. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus told us that there are things that we can do now that will have significance for the life to come. Eternal significance. There are things we can do now that will profit us always, forever. Paul says he is not seeking the gift from the Philippians, but he is seeking the eternal profit that will go to their account as they give to support the work, as they give to support the mission. Here is an astounding reason to give. An astounding reason. Whatever temporary things we give up in the cause of Christ, we get in return eternal things. That's amazing. Whatever temporary things we give up, we get eternal things in return. Jim Elliott, do you know that name? Was a missionary to Ecuador, was, was martyred, taking the gospel into the Amazon jungles. He famously said this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's no fool. You're no fool if you give up what you cannot keep, even your life. You can't keep it to gain what you cannot lose. That's really just a good paraphrase of what Jesus and Paul are saying here. A fool hangs on to temporary things. Things that rust and moths destroy, things that thieves will break in and steal, things that, things, things that you will ultimately lose. Only fools hold on to things that they will lose and completely ignore those things they can't lose. Eternal treasure. Things that cannot be taken from you. As the old preacher said, you can't take it with you, but what? You can send it on ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You will ultimately lose everything you work for in this life, except for those things you let go of for Jesus' sake. Those God himself keeps. Those God repays. It was David Livingston, I presume, who said... I never made a sacrifice. I never made a sacrifice. David Livingston gave up a lot. He gave up a lot in life to take the gospel into the heart of Africa. But none of it he saw as a sacrifice. Why? Because he believed in a God who would lavishly repay all of his losses. Livingston happily exchanged his temporary comforts 
for eternal joys. And that's a wise exchange, isn't it? That's wisdom. But you won't have that kind of wisdom, the wisdom to make that kind of exchange, apart from faith, will you? Apart from believing that there are far better things ahead than any we leave behind. Let's think about Russell again, standing there with his lunch. He's offering it up to Jesus, and as he's doing so, does he fully understand what's about to happen? Does he fully understand what's going on? Does he know what he's doing, what the eternal consequences will be? I think the answer is almost assuredly no. He doesn't. He has probably never heard Jesus say, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, even to the least of these, you shall not lose your reward. The smallest giving, the smallest act of kindness, you will not lose your reward. When we give, we have no idea what Jesus might do with it. No idea. If giving a cup of cold water is eternally meaningful, just imagine the eternal reward for a lifetime of consistent giving to the Lord. It's it's astounding. Here, I want to echo Paul's heart. At Alberta Baptist Church, we're not seeking the gift. Frankly, the more you give, the more there is to manage and steward well. But we're not, seeking the, we're not seeking the gift, but we are seeking the profit. We do seek the profit which comes to your account. Your account. We seek your eternal joy. And you know what? A happy byproduct of seeking your eternal joy is that the things of this world begin to lose their grip on you. As you give and give, you are retraining your heart. You are weaning it off of the world. You're training your heart not to see the world as your treasure. You're letting go. You're being free. And when you do, you'll actually be more free to enjoy the world than others do because it is not your all in all. You can enjoy it for what it is. You can enjoy it as the good gift God has given. You can enjoy the world more, more than if you had made it your everything. So, why do you need to give? Because of the eternal profit that comes to your account, verse 17. And also, because giving itself is an act of worship. Look at verse 18. This is what Paul teaches us in verse 18. Verse 18 says, But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Church, you need to give. Why? Because giving is an act of worship. It is an act of worship. Paul calls the Philippians' gift 
a fragrant aroma. And if you don't know it, that's, that's worship language from the Old Testament. A fragrant aroma. Your giving is like a fragrant incense to God. If you didn't catch the worship language in the first phrase, the second phrase makes it even clearer. Look, look with me, verse 12. A fragrant aroma, this is what your gift is, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. An acceptable sacrifice. The Philippians' giving is worship. It is the kind of worship, the kind of sacrifice that God accepts. It's an act of worship that is well-pleasing. See that verse 18? Well-pleasing to God. We need to ask ourselves why. Why is that? What is there about giving, about our giving, that makes it a sacrifice well-pleasing to God? I'll tell you what it's not. It's not because our giving adds anything to God. Right? So Paul says... (laughs) The, the God who is real is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. He's created everything. Everything is already his. Us giving to God does not add anything to him. That's not why it pleases him. Our giving doesn't add anything to God. It reflects something about God. And that's why it is well-pleasing to him. Think about it. God's nature is abundant. It is to give. Everything you see around you is gift to you. It is gift. Your very existence is gift. Your next breath is gift to you from God. God gives to all. Not just you. He gives to all. Remember what Jesus said, that he is the one who causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust and the rain to fall, grow the crops of the righteous and the unrighteous. He gives lavishly to all. And Jesus said that you will be sons of your Father when you do the same. When you give like God gives. When your nature is changed to reflect His giving nature. God is a God who gives cheerfully. You're to give cheerfully. He gives gladly from the heart. He gives to the undeserving. Namely you. You, the undeserving. He gives to you. We are worshiping God when we give as a reflection of how he gives to us. We are worshiping God when we give out of a grateful overflow for how he has given so lavishly, so much to us. Think again about Russell and his packed lunch of fish and bread Uh, What was the act of putting his meal into Jesus' hands? What was that? It was an act of trust, wasn't it? It was an act of sacrifice. As far as he knew, it was a sacrifice. But it was also an act of worship. I am putting Jesus above self. I am putting his request above my appetite. I am valuing his mission above my felt needs. That's an act of worship. Because it shows that the heart's loyalty has shifted. Shifted away from self to finding our ultimate purpose in God. 
and his mission. Church, you need to give. Why? Because you need to worship. You need to worship. The act of giving is a liberating act of worship. It's an act of rebellion against the world and a vote of confidence in our Father. It's a vote of confidence in God when we give. That's where Paul goes next. Look with me in verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Why do we need to give? Verse 19 gives us a fourth and final reason. Giving puts us in the happy position of trusting God to provide. That's what the Philippians have done. They've given, and now Paul says, you're in the position of trusting. Trusting God to, to provide all your needs. If you'd held it to yourself, you'd been an Ebenezer Scrooge, in the end you would have had less. But as you give, as it goes out from you, you're trusting God to provide for your needs. If your giving never brings you to the point of feeling your need, you're probably missing out on seeing God provide in some pretty amazing ways. I think we all could tell stories of God moving upon our hearts to give. It seemed too much, but we, we gave anyway, and God provided unexpectedly for, to us in certain ways. Let's think one last time about Russell. There he is, offering up all he has to Jesus, not knowing what the outcome will be. If he had kept it to himself, he might have never known what would have happened. But in exposing himself to need, he had the amazing experience of seeing God miraculously provide, not just for himself, but for 5,000 plus others. Only God knows the what-ifs of history. You realize that? You don't. Only God knows the what-ifs. Jesus knew. Jesus said, if this certain thing had been different in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented in dust and ashes. Jesus knows the what-ifs of history. Only God knows the what-ifs. And maybe he will tell us one day what would have happened if we had given more. What would have happened if we'd given more? If we had trusted him more to supply our needs. I don't know about that. But I do know this. None of us will ever wish in heaven that we had given less. None of us. We will all join with David Livingston in saying, I never made a sacrifice in this life. I never made a sacrifice. Why? Because all has been abundantly repaid. The first sight of Jesus putting the cup of the kingdom into your hand, all has been abundantly repaid. I never made a sacrifice. From the standpoint of heaven, we are all like Russell, offering Jesus our five little loaves and two measly fish. That's all we're giving. But in return, Jesus 
throws for us a banquet. A banquet, one that goes on forever, where every course is better than the one that came before. Let's pray together. Father, we want our hearts this morning to reflect your heart. You are a gracious, lavish, abundant giver to those who are evil and ungrateful and undeserving, namely us, namely me. So, Father, may our heart be changed. May, may you renovate us from the inside to reflect your heart. Lord, give us faith that has an eternal perspective, letting goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, knowing that your kingdom, the treasure in heaven, will endure forever for us. You will be the safeguard on all that we give up in this life for the sake of your gospel going forward. So, Lord, may you make us cheerful, generous, glad givers. Uh, Lord, may you be in the process of, of making us that for the first time. If we have thus far been holding on stingily to all of our things, thinking we, we don't have enough, may we see you lavishly provide as you pry our fingers loose of things, freely giving them up, gladly giving them up, and seeing you put many more in our hands. You've entrusted us with little um, let us be faithful with it that we might be entrusted with much and be faithful as well. Lord, work this in us, not for the, the name of this church, the reputation of Alberta Baptist, but for the glory of King Jesus in our hearts. Extend his reign over our possessions and our giving. We ask this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.